Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everything you do is making an impact in this world. This is not an elitist issue. This is a quality of life issue. How dare you? And I feel like it's my responsibility as a human being. So what? The world is at stake. You're listening to Eco Chic, a podcast about climate, sustainability, and eco-conscious lifestyles. What, like it's hard? Hey y'all, welcome to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. I am so happy to have you here today for our first episode of 2021, and that feels so good to say. I am not usually one for resolutions or setting up my year with like all of these expectations, but it just feels really good to have this sense of freshness almost, this new refined sense of hope and peace and I'm looking forward to hopefully getting vaccinated this year and it just feels good to feel fresh for once and I know that I mentioned in the last episode that last year was really great for the podcast and it was and I'm so thankful that so many new listeners have joined and if you're new here today welcome to the show I'm so happy to have you and if you've been here for a while it's awesome to have you still here But it's also been a lot of opportunity for me to think and reflect and be able to say, how do I want to do more? And how do I want to continue showing up for people and continue educating and opening people's eyes to aspects of climate and sustainability that we may not have gotten to really dig into this last year or even the year before that. So I'm looking forward to the year. I'm looking forward to really awesome guests, really awesome brand partners, really awesome everything. And with that, I'm looking forward to getting into today's conversation with you because it is a quickie solo episode to get us into the new year. And we're going to be unpacking a topic that we've kind of touched on before, but not really with a whole lot of depth or with a dedicated episode to it. And that topic is social sustainability. When this show first started, it makes sense that we were pretty keenly focused on environmental sustainability that makes sense. My background is in climate science. My motivations for living an eco-conscious lifestyle were pretty largely fueled by climate change and climate action. And environmental sustainability is kind of tricky. Let's first define it. Environmental sustainability can be pretty loosely defined as responsible interaction with the environment. Now, what is responsible? That's different for different people. But in my view, environmental sustainability is conducting life in a way that inflicts minimal harm on the earth and its natural resources. Now, I want to take a minute to just acknowledge that the word sustainability, generally speaking, I think it's a little misleading because it truly just means the maintenance of an action. Sustainability, when we look at like diet culture, is your diet sustainable? That means can you keep up with it indefinitely? So sustainability is a weird word that we've attached to climate action because we don't actually want to sustain our society, maintain business as usual. We want to do better. We want to decarbonize. We want to more aggressively achieve our climate goals to ensure a stable planet. So sustainability is really the bare minimum. 
However, in the last year, we've really begun to open up the conversation around different kinds of sustainability, and for good reason. I like to think about different kinds of sustainability kind of like circles that overlap in the middle of that Venn diagram overlap portion can be environmental sustainability, or actually perhaps more accurately, when we're looking at society as a whole or a community as a whole, we're looking at a pyramid hierarchy of needs. At the very base of that pyramid is social sustainability. Social sustainability is also pretty loosely defined because it manifests in a lot of other larger societal concerns. Essentially, social sustainability looks at the societal structures in place that allow people to live healthy, happy lives. Now, I know that sounds pretty big picture, but let's think about it. Social sustainability will look like things like equity, diversity, culture, amenities, so things like your social life type activities, but also things like grocery stores, job opportunities, wellness and health, safety, community engagement. Community engagement is one that I like to talk about because a lot of climate action plans actually look at voter turnout when they're looking at social sustainability because if people are active in their democracy, that's an indication that they care about where they live and they care about what's going to happen to it in the immediate future. If you really had your pick of the litter, it's not attractive to live somewhere with really severe inequity or really poor safety or no access to things like grocery stores. An area with these kinds of concerns would not be considered particularly socially sustainable. Because what incentive do people have to invest in communities that aren't actually invested in their own well-being and their livelihoods? I mentioned job opportunities, and someone out there may have perked up and been like, hey, Laura, I think that might actually be economic sustainability. Economic sustainability is an interesting term because it can be both personal and societal. So, for instance, if you are buying a new car every year, is that economically sustainable for you? Can you financially keep up with that? But also, is a society that relies on frivolous consumer spending economically sustainable? We saw this during the pandemic. People are generally more budget conscious and more inclined to save or maybe skip an extra non-essential purchase. So how economically sustainable is it if there are entire industries relying on consumer spending? This is not necessarily saying that consumers shouldn't feel like they have to save a business. I'm talking about the necessity of consumers to spend on entire industries for their maintenance. So the example I'm thinking of is actually taxis. About a year or so ago, The Daily, which is the New York Times Daily podcast, did a piece on taxis. And a taxi company had, at the time, opened up a lawsuit against Uber. And ultimately, there were some restrictions put on rideshare companies in New York City, but the bottom line was that a rideshare company was being seen as competition entering the marketplace. And it wasn't really on the city to protect taxis against consumer choice. That's the economy. That's supply and demand. The model of taxis just waiting around wasn't economically sustainable in that instance, so the companies pivoted and maybe they lowered their rates or expanded their service areas or did something that allowed them to continue showing up as a worthy economic competitor. That's economic sustainability. Now, let's go back to job opportunities because I really like this one. This, again, is a measure of social and economic sustainability. It is less attractive, again, to live somewhere without job opportunities or at least some reasonable access to job opportunities and public transportation to get you to those job opportunities. 
And are those job opportunities reasonably profitable for you? Are people being paid fairly? If someone needs to work two jobs to live somewhere, what does that say about minimum wage or the cost of living? And my favorite little soundbite line, one that I say all the time at work and I've said it before on the show, is that you cannot expect people to care about the solar panels you're putting up in their neighborhood if they can't pay their electric bill in the first place. If you are not meeting people's basic social and economic needs, they can't afford to care about the environment. Something we hear all the time when discussing healthy foods and sustainability and food access is the argument against fast food. So let's ask ourselves, why do families buy fast food on a weeknight for a meal? Well, maybe it's preference. Maybe people just like it. But also, maybe it's time. Are they commuting and they don't have time to cook at home? Or is it budget? Because fast food is reasonably cheap when you're considering the cost of ingredients and groceries to make a comparable meal. Maybe it's access. Are there reasonably good, comparable options for them to eat out in their community? Or maybe they live in a food desert and don't have access, good access, to fresh produce and grocery stores. If you're not addressing those issues of time and money and access, who is going to listen to you when you're telling them that their hamburger requires the water equivalent of six months' worth of showers? Or that a poor, sad cow lived their whole life in terrible, awful slaughterhouse conditions just so that they can enjoy a dollar menu hamburger? I mean, maybe someone is going to be sympathetic and they're going to say, wow, I feel really bad, but that doesn't address their core issues of why they are choosing to make that decision in the first place, that purchasing decision. Why are we not addressing the issue of time and money and access? So another example I want to discuss, which may be a touchy one, but if you're listening to the show, I feel like I can reasonably assume that we share similar views on defunding the police and the value in that. Studies have shown that an increase in active duty police officers does not have any significant impact on declining crime rates in an area. So let's talk about crime. What types of situations may provoke someone to partake in crime? I don't know if that is the most correct wording, but bear with me here. One thing that may drive someone to crime is money. So let's talk about money. Are there job opportunities? Are there job training programs for high schoolers? Are there educational opportunities and access to those training programs or transition programs? And for people who are already working but just simply not making enough money, what does that say, again, about the minimum wage or how we value certain professions? If the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that the most essential workers in our society, beyond, of course, our frontline healthcare workers, are those employed in a trade or they're working in food, food delivery, they're cashiers, they're the people stocking the shelves. Aja Barber said this on our last episode when discussing the fashion industry. If people at the top are billionaires and then the people at the bottom, the garment makers, the people doing the most backbreaking work on the supply chain are making pennies, that's a messed up system. So bringing it back to crime, let's get to the root issues. Let's address those social and economic concerns and issues that are driving people to participate in it in the first place. Another fun fact, random example that I learned in the classic city planning book, The Death and Life of American Cities, is that streetlights and the length of city blocks are really good indicators of crime rates. So if there is less light, there's less opportunity for nighttime crime. If you have a longer block, you have less alleyway, less opportunity for crime outside of the public eye. And where do you have long blocks and where do you have a lot of streetlights? In the suburbs. Not all the time, of course, but it's a good way to kind of guesstimate crime rates in an area. When you think about a bad neighborhood, quote unquote, 
what do you think of? It's poorly lit, there's a lot of alleyways, maybe in the scene that you're having in your head. And that's also about city budgets and planning and money and time and access. So what are we funding instead of job training programs and education and social services that allow for these conditions to kind of perpetuate and kind of sink into the societal structure in that community? So we've been talking about crime for a while, but I would like to zoom out and bring this conversation back to the idea of social sustainability, meaning that people's basic needs for living stable lives need to be met before they have the privilege to care about climate change and environmental action and how their daily lives are impacting the planet. We can't tell everyone that Amazon is bad and they need to stop shopping there without replacing that with a similarly low-cost option or a similarly accessible option, what's getting to their house in two days or what's immediately available in their neighborhood. The ultimate social sustainability would be a society that conducts business and economic activities that protects both people and the planet. When we're looking at environmental sustainability, we want to make sure that people have the means to care about it, not just financially. I don't want to say that in order to be truly environmentally sustainable, you need to be buying from environmental companies or environmentally backed companies. But that's to say that you have the capacity to care. You're not worried about larger, more basic necessities to live a stable, healthy, happy life. I also think this is a really good place to plug intersectional environmentalism as a movement. I will link a couple of episodes of the show from last year down below if you want to learn more about intersectional environmentalism as a movement, as a theory, as a way of life. But when we talk about intersectional environmentalism, it's essentially looking at how culture and intersectional identities really play a part in your relationship with the planet. So saying that there are certain community groups or ethnic groups that may view sustainability different than you. Or even looking at the fact that a lot of academic thought and what we accept as fact and scientific fact really discredits indigenous communities and indigenous knowledge. So again, going back to the idea of societies and accepting people for everything that they come with and everything that makes them who they are, how are they being cared for by the communities that they're living in? And once we meet those needs, then we can actually start talking about saving the planet as a whole, as a collective, and get everyone on board. I hope this episode got you thinking. I feel like I just threw a lot of ideas at you, but at its core, it's really to say that environmentalism doesn't happen in a silo. Climate action does not happen in a silo. Climate change is happening whether or not you're thinking about it in every decision you make and all day, every day. And if we want to genuinely, thoroughly understand the reasons that we're contributing to climate change as a human race and how we can actually stop it from continuing to perpetuate, we want to look at how our societies are structured and restructuring them in a way that is more harmonious with natural resources and the way of balance of the planet. So with that, again, like I said, I threw a lot at you. I hope it was a good one. I hope this was a great conversation to get you thinking a little bit about social sustainability and the bigger picture around environmentalism as we go into the year. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. This has been a treat for me, and thank you so much for just sticking around. I'm looking forward to the new year with you, and if you'd like to connect, you can do so on social media at Podcast on Instagram or wherever else you want to find me. All my links are down below, and if you like this episode, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, 
And you can also send it to a friend, share it in your group chat, send it to all of your friends and play it out loud for your family. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you again so much. And I hope you're doing great. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.